either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Welcome back to the screening room. Got a new batch of flicks for the big screen, for the small screen, and we'll run them down. See what's worth checking out. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from madwolf.com. Let's start on the big screen. A reclusive author who writes espionage novels about a secret agent and a global spy syndicate realizes the plot of her new book she's writing starts to mirror real-world events in real time. Uh Uh-oh. This is called Argyle. Real-life spies. Why would they care about me? Because you're a goddamn fortune teller, Ellie. When you wrote your new book actually happened, and you kicked a hornet's nest you didn't even know existed. I'm in some really big trouble, Mom. Oh, so now you're experimenting with drugs. I want all assets on them now. I need her to write the next chapter. time for you to meet the real Agent Argyle. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Well, this is disappointing for a lot of reasons, starting with the fact that it's not an origin story about the die-hard chauffeur. <laughs> That's what I need, mm-hmm, Argyle, mm-hmm. and I'm guessing if they do make it, it'll be better than this. This is just its just a disappointing mess. I really It's one of those where... Maybe ten minutes in, you're you're thinking, why did this not go straight to streaming? Yeah, that's 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 a really good question. And you think about some movies that have gone straight to streaming, and they merit the big screen a lot more than this one did. And I guess, as you said, it's got a it's got a really impressive cast. It does. But then I think of remember the one was it Red Notice with with The Rock and Ryan Reynolds yeah. and uh, Gal Gadot. Yeah. I mean, that's those are big stars. That, that movie was, to, terrible it was terrible also. It was well, terrible It went also. right to streaming. Yes, as, as this is where it should have been. It's where this should have gone. But anyway, um, this is the latest from the director's Matthew Vaughn, um, known for, well, we loved Kick-Ass yeah, years ago. He did that. But since then, he's really been all about the Kingsmen. Um, Which is unfortunate, right? Because the first one was um, mediocre, and then now he's just beating this dead horse. Yeah. Anyway. So it's more spy fun, and it is. It's got a big star-studded cast. Now, not all of them are in the movie very long. Right. Because what it does is it splits, and I think this is one of the weaknesses of it, it splits sort of fantasy and reality because Bryce Dallas Howard, she plays this author, as the synopsis says, and then she starts being hunted by real spies because her books are mirroring real life. And so during a lot of the action, it switches back and forth between what she's looking at and imagining the secret agent character from her books, played by Henry Cavill, Mm -hmm. and then it goes back to real life. And a little bit of that can be engaging. I, I'm thinking of the scene we love from um, American Fiction, where he did that. Oh, yeah. But it was only a couple of minutes, yeah. and then you're done. Yeah. This continues the entire, pretty much the entire movie, and I think it just mutes any momentum or any fun that you can have on one side or the other. But that's that's just one, one thing. One small, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's one of the things is it is... Um, you know, you know what it made me think of was that Sandra Bullock movie with Channing Tatum a few years ago. Similar, right? She's a she's a she writes spy novels. He's the cover girl. He's mm. like the cover 
uh, model. Of, of, yeah. Right. And and they accidentally get trapped in an actual sort of spy right. and adventure. Brad Pitt right. shows up for a little bit. Yeah. Exactly. That's some fun. And that, yeah. Right. I mean, it's not a great movie, but it was fun. It was short. Uh, it looked good. It was kind of funny. You know, it was enjoyable. This movie is two hours and 15 minutes long, yeah. first of all. It doesn't look particularly good, and it no. is not funny at all. Some, in fact, some of the CGI is pretty shaky. Let's uh, talk about that cat for a second. Okay, the cat, as you, if you've seen the trailer, you realize the cat is prominently featured. And the cat is prominently featured in this movie. And you're wondering at the end of it, why? Right, exactly. It served no purpose whatsoever, and it's just a bad CGI cat. It is. And the film, I think, in the script, uh, written by Jason Fuchs, really thinks it's a lot more clever than it is. It yeah. really seems self-satisfied um, with all these twists. And the, that, the marketing is really going it's out of its way to say all the big secrets. Don't s- spill the big secret. Yeah. And there's a bunch of twists. Some you can see coming. Some, all right, I grant you can't. Mm-hmm. But they just really out-cutesy themselves. After a while, you're like, oh, come on. It, this is so silly and so contrived. As much as I like people like Sam Rockwell. Oh, love yeah. Sam Rockwell. Oh, yeah. And his his uh, chemistry with Bryce Dallas Howard is fine. Sure. It is. But where this movie goes, I'm telling you, half an hour, 45 minutes in, you're looking at your watch. Yeah. And like you said, it goes on for two hours and 15 minutes. Yeah. I mean, and, and by the way, there is a, a stinger. There is something to sit through for the credits, just if you do go. And here's the thing. I was so annoyed by that stinger that I was actually <laughs> angry that it was there. Yeah, it's a little curious. Uh, but, yeah, you've got a lot of people popping up. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson and John Cena. Uh, Dua Lipa is in it for a little while. Uh, Ariana DuBose is in it for a little while. Richard E. Grant. So you keep seeing. Yeah, Brian Cranston, Brian Catherine Cranston. Oh, I mean, yes, people. exactly. And some, as I say, are in it only for a little while because they may be like Henry Cavill just a character from her books that she's imagining how it might I mean, play he's out. in it for a little bit. He, yeah, he yeah. comes back. But you're right. The Most most of the yeah. other sort of like, yeah. yeah Dua Lipa. Uh, yeah, yeah, she's in it for and John five Cena, seconds. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, it's really overly cooked and overly satisfied with itself. And the fun, what fun there is, wears out very, very quickly. Because um, the, like, the original Kingsman had some fun to it. Even a movie like, like say, Bullet Train. Now, oh yeah. Now that one was it wasn't a great movie. Oh yeah, but it some was, fun sequences it was for sure. Fun yeah. and well shot and and enjoyable to a to a point. Right. One of the things uh, you bring that up because there is a sequence on a train. So you know you you think of of Bullet Train. One of the things about the sequence on the train, about the dance sequence, about the the sequence in in the palace. Every single one of those goes on for about four minutes too long. Yeah, Every movie, yeah. single one. Yeah. And so that you get to this final, like, dance number in this, you know, cloud of gas, and you're just like, you are just staring at your watch like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, can this movie please be over? <laughs> yeah, just really, really disappointing. And, again, one that I'm very surprised, especially when you hear, and we mentioned this, I think, going in to watch this, when you hear of a movie like Roadhouse, now we haven't seen it. Roadhouse no. may be terrible, the new Roadhouse, but it seems it's to probably have, terrible. <laughs> it, it, it seems to have such a built-in audience yeah. that we were surprised that it's going straight to streaming. Yeah, and a big, big star yeah. and a big director. Well, something and, yeah. like this goes goes to the big screen because this just screams that it would have been, been better on streaming. But anyway, it's in the theaters now. We were very much disappointed, but if you want to check it out, there is a stinger at the end, as we said, um, and it's in theaters now called Argyle. Let's stay on the big screen for a comedy. A 30-something eternal bridesmaid goes on an empowering and often hilarious journey of self-discovery. This is called Scrambled. 
If I don't spend 13K to freeze my eggs, I might never be able to have kids. Meanwhile, you're gonna wait till you're 70 to have a baby with an influencer. That is accurate, and I'm not embarrassed about it. What's new with you, Nellie? I'm thinking about getting my eggs frozen. That's amazing. Maybe I should have a baby shower. But you're not having a baby. What if I screw this up? I don't even know if I want kids. I've seen Euphoria. You're not going to screw this up. I'm either going through a renaissance or amidst the worst crisis of my lifetime. Here we go. Down here, you look like I'd say... Virgin? <laughs> Definitely not. Okay. This is the brainchild of writer and director and star Leah McKendrick. Been around for a while doing different projects. I believe it's her first feature as, as writer, director, and star. And it is, it's impressive and it's funny, but it also reminds you of the old adage, I think as I said this in my written review, where people talk about comedians making jokes to hide pain. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a real serious issue at heart here, and apparently it's an issue that she has dealt with. So this is semi-autobiographical about her her character named Nellie, and she's 34 years old, and she's just committed to the single bitches for life, uh, just partying <laughs> and loving it, And uh, even though she is still smarting from a recent breakup. But she looks around, and... And all of her uh, her crew, a lot of her crew, like Ego Nuodum from SNL, and then the always welcome June Diane Raphael. She's, <laughs> she's, when she's one of those that pops up in small roles and just improves everything. Yes. Anyway, a lot of her crew now is settling down, getting married, starting families, and she's looking around, and oh yeah, she's thirty four, and um, she realizes that while maybe her her mind and her body still ready to mingle, uh, as her friends remind her those eggs are not Uh, and so she realizes that she if she someday wants to be a mother she's got to freeze them and so that's the journey that's the the quote-unquote conflict here because when she goes on that journey she has to go up against the social the physical and the the financial burdens and one of the things this movie does is point out to people who may not be aware of what all that entails just what all that entails right and it's a lot and uh, there, but uh, this sounds very serious, and it is. But there are also some laughs here. Uh, early on, it's more of the laughs, like uh, say train wreck type, sure, with the lifestyle. But then, as she gets into making this choice, and especially with her family at home, her dad is played by Clancy Brown. Yes, please. Yes, kind of a, a different role for Clancy yeah. Brown. A little goofy. He's usually a heavy. Yeah, but he he hears about her plan and calls it a millennial feminist voodoo, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. And then she's got a brother who's just this obnoxious yuppie type. And, uh, you know, and he's he's against it and he's pretty much against her whole lifestyle. And she's like, well, what do you you know? You're going to be 70 years old and have kids with a young influencer. And he says, (laughs) yes, that's right. And I'm not sad about it. You know, so they go back and forth and you get laughs there. Um, So it's it is it's it's empowering because she continues to, you know, accept and be committed to accepting herself. But yet realizing how these these hurdles that she has to jump and she's a. She's obviously 34-year-old. She's a grown-ass woman, and she's in charge of her own decisions about whether or not and when she wants to have children. Imagine that. Right. Yeah. No, it's smart and funny. Um, and like you said, though, I mean, it's there's an authenticity that I think is what makes it uh, as good a film as it is. Yeah, and, and you can tell that it's—even if you didn't know, I think, anything about her— and her personal journey, you you would probably watch and think, boy, whoever wrote this has probably lived it. 
and and she definitely has. Mm-hmm. And, and so she's writing what she knows, which is, you know, talking about old adages. Exactly. Adage is always a good idea. So, but there it is, is definitely laughs here. Now it's R-rated, so be ready for that because as, <laughs> as we've always said, we don't mind a good R-rated comedy no. at all. And she has no problems about that because her character, Nellie, goes through with, you know, wisecracks and middle fingers to everyone uh, <laughs> about her journey. So, But it's it's worth checking out. Yeah, funny and smart and uh, and tells a good, uh, is enlightening as well, informative yeah. uh, for people, maybe like me, who don't realize sure. what people, you know, have to go through with this. And it's and it's serious. And uh, she makes it a, a, a fun, funny journey of, of one woman's uh, self-discovery and, and taking control of her own reproductive decisions uh, and still find some humor in it too so it's out on the big screen now and it's worth it called scrambled well let's stay on the big screen but shift gears this is a biographical historical drama the story of ludwig von kalen who pursued his lifelong dream to make the heath bring him wealth and honor it's mads mickelson in the promised land chaos On TV this morning, the hosts weren't sure who Mads Mikkelsen was. They recognized him, but they weren't sure why. If if anybody on earth hasn't seen at least a dozen Mads Mikkelsen movies, rectify that situation right now. He is great in everything. He is, and he's got an unforgettable look. Really, once you've seen him, like, oh, that guy, yeah, Yeah. he's he's in a ton of great stuff. I think you mean to say that he's stunning. (laughs) (laughs) And he's great in this, and this is a very good movie, and it is based on a a real-life person, and it's based on a historical novel, and yeah, Ludwig was a longtime captain in the German army, and he comes back home to Denmark in 1755, and he's got his pension, his military pension, but he's not rich by any means, but he's got these dreams of nobility, to move up in class, to move up in status, and he has a plan to do it. He goes to the, the king, King Frederick, uh, his king's court, with an offer. If he can tame this uninhabitable land called the Heath, the Danish Heath, and make it make it worthy and make it capable of holding settlements, of farming, if he can do that, which no one else has been able to do, the king's people have pretty much given up on it, if he can do it, then the king will grant him a noble title, a manor, and servants. So that's his ticket to moving up in class. And it's not going to be an easy job. The uh, soil is very inhospitable, plus he's got roving gangs of outlaws to deal with, and he's got this sadistic county judge down the road who doesn't want the land to be settled because more so he he views the land as his and any settlements that come in that are that are sanctioned by the king takes away this county judge's power so ludwig has all these things going against him and this is a movie he he reunites with the the co-writer and director is nicolaj arcel and i think i pronounced that right they worked together on a great movie from a couple of years ago called uh, Riders of Justice. Maybe my oh, favorite Mickelson movie. Oh, my God. Movie. Look it up. Oh, it's yeah. It's so, so great. good. Now, the, the director here didn't direct that movie. He wrote it. But, man, it's it's so worth checking out. So they're back together working together. Uh, Riders of Justice was funny. Yeah. Uh, this one is not. No. Not at all. This is serious, but it's a sweeping historical epic. It goes in different directions. It looks great. If you like this kind of movie, this is a full two hours, a little over two hours, but doesn't drag so at compelling. All. Very compelling. You got to see what happens as things, you know, the drama can be as subtle as what's happening on a patch of dirt to this 
triangle that develops between Ludwig and the county judge and the county judge's possible fiance who views Ludwig as a way out. Right. So you've got all these. It could have been pulpy, but isn't really sort of like these elements that might show up in a romance novel going on. And then Ludwig takes in these two runaway peasant farmers and this little girl outcast and all these different points to the drama. So the stakes keep getting raised and it just makes all of it so compelling. You've got to see where it goes and and how it turns out. And how much of it is true, I don't know. It is based on this guy, though, <laughs> mm-hmm. who at least did some of this. But, uh, man, it's it's really, really worthwhile and really compelling, just all of it. And, yeah, Mads Mikkelsen is great, as he always is. So And so is the um, the support cast. Even the guy, you just hate his guts. The guy <laughs> the that judge. plays the judge, you hate him. And that's, so he did his right, job. Right, right, you're supposed to. But yeah, the direction, the cinematography, everything. So if you have even an inkling of interest in these these historical epics, check this out and, and see it on the big screen. Very good. Very much enjoyed it. Called The Promised Land out this week. Got one in select theaters and also out on VOD this week. Horror comedy. We like that. Following an act of bullying, Woody High School senior Javier develops psychic abilities, which he must use to stop a mysterious serial killer targeting his classmates. This is Departing Seniors. Someone's doing this, Bianca. Someone's killing our friends. And do we really call those guys our friends? Bianca... Thanks to the universe, you're having these visions, right? We can use them. We can backtrack from there, gather any evidence we need, and then burn them. So we can get to him before it's too late. You make me say no. can't just let him die. Man. Actually, we could. Bianca! Attention departing seniors. Counseling staff is available throughout the day for all of your emotional needs. What? Now, this is one that we got to see last fall. This premiered at Nightmares Film Festival yes, here in Columbus. It did. And it was a big hit. Oh, yeah. It, it's just a huge crowd pleaser. It's a horror comedy, and it, it sends up the traditional tropes of, like, your high school slasher in, in a Scream-esque way. But it, it, it is also really very fresh. The dialogue is great. And wh- so what happens is is this bullied kid... During an act of bullying, he hits his head, and then he, he becomes kind of a clairvoyant. And mm-hmm. so he can see where the, the, the bullies, essentially, one by one, um, are in danger, and they're going to get killed. And so he tells his best friend, played by Ariane Roach, who is in a lot of Jennifer Reeder films, and she's great. She's particularly great in this. She tells He tells her and that they have to go try and save these people, and her response is always great. She's always like... <laughs> Do we Do really we? want to? <laughs> like, how important is that, right. you know? And the two of them, their banter. Yeah, Javier is played by Ignacio Diaz Silverio. He And you, he's so good. He's so good in this movie. You love him to death. The way he delivers lines is so full of tenderness and humor. He's very witty. and But it's not just those two. I mean, the bullies, too, mm-hmm. each individual one, they each get a moment to be sort of interesting and introspective and human, but at the same time, they're absolute dicks. <laughs> it's just that this movie, uh, Claire Cooney is the name of the director, and yeah. she balances the yeah. humor and the pathos 
And the horror in this movie so well. And that's no easy trick. No. I mean, we talk about that all the time. How many times do you hear us talk about clash of tones and things like that? But when you get it right, it can it can really work so well as it does here. Yeah, Claire Cooney, the director, the writer is Jose Nataris, and they just hit on that sweet spot. You know, we've seen other movies have fun with this. We just saw Totally Killer do it. Oh, sure, you sure. Know, mix in a little Back to the Future. But when you're having fun with that genre, mm-hmm. which is very, very popular, let's let's oh not, sure, of course, yeah, let's uh, you can find another way to look at it and still have the same fun. And I think people know if if this is your sort of thing, I'd be hard pressed to think that you're not going to enjoy it. And one of the things that's great about this movie is that it's very uh, the um, um, Javier is is gay. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I loved about the movie is that it's not like a look gay. It's just these are just your high school students. Yeah. High school students are just high school students. They don't. The movie doesn't make it out to be something other than these are the kids that go to school together. And I really appreciate that. That that Javier just got to be a, a character, like a fully formed yeah. character, but with a point of view that we don't always get to see. And plus, no matter. How long it's been <clears throat> since you've been in high school? Uh, there are still <laughs> always some universal things you can remember. You know the the cliques and the popular kids and the bullying and the dicks. That sort of always transfers. Yeah, yeah it does. And it's yeah. just, just just a hoot. So yeah, check this out. It is in some some select theaters. We're lucky here in Columbus to have it back on the big screen. But if not in your area, very much worth checking out on VOD. A lot of fun. Departing seniors. Let's go to Netflix for a documentary. On January 25, 1985, dozens of the era's most popular musicians gathered in L.A. to record a charity single for African famine relief. Setting egos aside, they collaborated on a song that would make history. It's the greatest night in pop. One, two. We are the world. We are the children. Must be in a dream, huh? Hello, hello. But we only had one night to get this right. We'll start chopping wood. We stop for a minute. This thing's going to be chaos. Again for me? I don't want to open a can of worms. From that moment on, I was nervous out of my brain. People didn't know what we were going to be doing. There's really no excuse. There's a full-on fight going on. What am I supposed to sing? The clock is ticking, and we had so many disasters coming. Man, are you kidding? The greatest night in pop was that that one day that I got to meet Duran Duran. But this can be the second greatest <laughs> night in pop. Is this the second night? Yeah. <laughs> well, they got to get that right. Yeah, this is, if you remember that song and, or, and remember that time, mm-hmm. it's going to mean a lot more to you. I mean, this is right in our sweet spot, mm-hmm. obviously. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, this is fascinating because it's, it's interesting that it's taken this long to get a real behind-the-scenes look. I mean, the video for the song was filmed when they were recording it, so you see a little bit of backstage stuff right, there because right. that's when it happened. But you go really deep into it here, and it is it is fascinating. I mean, the the lead host, I guess, is Lionel Richie to take us through this. He's listed as a producer as well, mm-hmm. and he's the main one that they that they talk to. And, but he, and, and he was a songwriter, about. right? Yes, he was one of the songwriters with Michael Jackson. That's a funny story. I mean, he's he's got some great stories about how it came to be, and and how they. They got everybody together. Number one, they, they pretty much uh, settled on the fact that the only time to do it was the night after the American Music Awards because so many people were going to be in town anyway, and that would be the time to do it. And then they started looking 
at people that weren't going to be at the awards that maybe they could still get, and they weren't able to get some of them, case in point, say Van Halen, mm-hmm. because Van Halen was on tour at the time. Anyone on tour at the time wasn't going to do it. Talking Heads, they tried, couldn't mm-hmm. do it. But somebody like Springsteen had just happened to wrap up his tour the night before, mm-hmm. so he came in. The rest, of, A lot of the rest of the people were already going to be at the Music Awards, so they got him there. I was just going to say, Springsteen, so for us, watching it, one of the best parts of the movie is that he is involved, not yeah. just obviously in the archival footage, but they talk to Springsteen. Yeah, he's one that they talk to currently, a new interview mm-hmm. the most. Lana Ritchie, Bruce, um, Cindy Lauper a little bit, uh, and Huey Lewis gets a, a lot of time as well. And then they talk to like the recording engineer, some people that were involved, and also a woman in the office at... Lana Richards, Richie's manager at the time, Ken Cragen, legendary guy in the business. He was also one of the driving forces behind um, Hands Across America. He was a, a big uh, early influence on this, and he helped to pick the uh, the artists. And one of the questions, one of the interesting questions that sort of remains unanswered is, why wasn't Madonna involved? Yes. Because if you look at just going down the list, they talk they, they talk several times about they're just going down the list. Who are the most popular mm-hmm. people at the time? And Madonna was there at for, the, the, for the Music Awards. Yeah. And in fact, there's a clip of that night of Huey Lewis standing with Madonna as reporters ask Huey about this secret recording session he's going to go to later. He says, I can't talk about it. She's standing right there. And the only... <laughs> The only answer you get is the, the woman, Ken Craig now has passed away, so they couldn't have asked him, but the woman who worked in his office, one of his assistants, says that they had a fight because she wanted Madonna, and he said he wanted Cindy Lauper. Which okay, just makes you wonder, why do you have why to not choose? both? Right, you had all these other... So like other... an East Coast, West Coast like beef <laughs> exactly. that we didn't know about? So it's sort of an unanswered question. They, they leave hanging there, but whatever. But you, you get some, yeah, some priceless uh, backstage stuff about Lionel talking about writing the song... And then you get, uh, you know, Lionel does a little bit of a Michael Jackson impression. You also see Michael recording some of his bits in the studio, and you hear his a cappella voice. Now, I'm telling you, you go back then before he, this was before he really went nuts with the surgery right. and his nose. He sounds fantastic. Yeah. Just that clear a cappella voice singing that part. It's just, you're just reminded. And you see all these uh, artists, you know, rubbing elbows with each other. And you get a couple of things that I had not heard. Number one, Waylon Jennings was a part of it early, but he left. He walked out when they started, when Stevie Wonder was insisting on singing some parts in Swahili, and they started arguing about this. And Bob, Bob Geldof says, well, we're we're targeting the people with the money. That's that's who we're targeting. So there was this big argument about it. Waylon Jennings hit the road. And then all they almost lost uh, Sheila E., because she says she was invited that night by Lionel Richie to not only be in it, but to sing one of the verses. And then she, once she got there, she kind of got the feeling that she was only invited because she could bring Prince. And Which, so, of course, historically, famously, she did not do. Yeah, no, no. And she said, she says at the time, they do talk to her, the current, uh, a new interview, that she says she knew he wasn't going to come because that's not the way he works. Right. But she did call them, and, and so she kind of got, oh, that's the only reason that they brought me here. So she was a little... But she's still looking back on it. Was very glad to be a part of it. So there's a lot of different stories like that, and just the the footage of these people rubbing elbows and how talk about popular kids in high school. They're all here together, and how they interact with each other. And some of it is very sweet. I mean, another story you get: Al Jarreau. Al Jarreau apparently got drunk. <laughs> he was having such a good time. He wanted to celebrate all night, and he had a hard time getting his part down. But he did 
they there's a, a part where uh, Quincy Jones uh, introduces the crowd or gives credit to Harry Belafonte. It was his, really his idea. Mm-hmm. And so she, he wants to just give a public thank you. And Al Jarreau starts everyone singing the Banana Boat song. Nice. And you can tell Harry Belafonte, he's touched. Yeah. Uh, so so that was nice. But uh, Al had a little, had a little wine. <laughs> and then the way that Bob Dylan, he was... It, it's funny you get a legendary person like Bob Dylan, where you could you could tell all these other people were sort of kowtowing to him, and he didn't work that way either. He had a hard time getting his part down. He had to just go alone with Stevie Wonder, where Stevie Wonder could play and and mimic Bob Dylan's style of singing back to him to say this is how it should sound. So some of that stuff is fascinating. Oh sure, it yeah, really absolutely. is. If you're a music fan, uh, you do definitely have to check this out. And if you remember, we are the world, and it's part of your uh, part of your upbringing, part of your childhood. Member, you will definitely get a kick out of this. But big uh, recommendation for the greatest night in pop, and it is now on Netflix. Well, let's go to Shudder. We love Shudder. Dario Argento wrote his most famous films inside hotels, completely isolating himself from external reality and immersing himself in his own nightmares. This documentary takes a look. It's called Dario Argento Panico. He's more like an like a painter or a, a musician, you know. He really seems to uh, get a jolt out of the terror. Io cerco il panico, che è una scatto in più, che è una penetrazione più profonda. This is from filmmaker Simone Scafidi, who did a, a documentary a few years ago called Fulci for Fake. Uh, about... So if you're going to do Fulci, That's right. I guess you got to do Argento. Exactly, right? <laughs> exactly. This is not the first documentary about Dario Argento, although um, in, in uh, the one I've seen, the two I've seen before, Argento doesn't participate so it's a lot of archival footage because he's done a lot of interviews over the years, mm-hmm. but but it's not there. You know, the filmmaker themselves isn't talking directly to mm-hmm. uh, Dario Argento, which is one of the reasons that this one seemed the most interesting. The filmmakers follow him into quote seclusion in a hotel where he's going to write his next movie, which is a funny idea because he's not secluded. There is a film crew <laughs> in the room with him, um, which seems like it defeats the purpose. But um, but then, uh, you know, uh, Scafidi talks to a lot of different people and, and, you know, they sort of go somewhat chronologically through Argento's career. So it's interesting to hear people sort of because you can take his career in chunks. There's the early, very giallo. And then he makes this weird turn into like historical comedy that was a massive bomb. And then he returns to horror. He does the supernatural stuff. He comes back to giallo. You know, and then he moves into the like nineties and two thousands, which is where most people sort of think he stopped being very good. And so it's <laughs> it's interesting. And I was excited because for the first time, you know, that I'm aware of, Argento was was part of it, and so you could ask him about these things, and he doesn't. And so okay, I've like I said, I've seen several documentaries about Dario Argento where he doesn't ever address any of these really peculiar, provocative elements of his career, and that's fine. I don't mind that, but. This movie talks to other people, including, in particular, Asia Argento, his daughter, who starred in six of his films. And she does bring up some very provocative ideas. And then they cut back to his father, and nobody asks him. Yeah. 
And this is just stunning to yeah, it's, me. It's sort of like a little bit we talked about just with the Madonna thing. You hate when a, a documentary leaves unanswered questions. Yeah. Even if he didn't want to talk about it, let's let's hear the guy asking and then him saying, I don't want to talk about it or right. whatever. Right. Let's don't leave us hanging with an un- unanswered question. Yeah, because some of the things that she brings. I mean, if you are if you're if you pay attention to the career of Dario Argento, at some point you have to say to yourself, why is it, you know, after the movie opera? Everything is terrible, right? <laughs> if they stop looking like Argento films, they stop sounding like Argento films. There's no color. There's no architecture. There's there's no great shot making. Why is that? And then you also have to say why. So uh, Trauma is the first film that Ozzy Argento starred in. She's 16 years old. Uh, she's naked. She's always naked in his films. They're always very sexual. It, 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 and And you have to, like, ask yourself, I mean, if you're watching, you're like, why Why is this man putting his daughter through this? And she brings it up. So it's it, it's it's obviously, it is a, the white, it's the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. And he just chooses, he brings it, he lets her bring it up, and then he just drops it and doesn't ask the director. He does not ask Dario Argento about any of these things where you think, well, then what is the purpose of having him in your documentary? And again, let's just say, let's just assume that maybe the only way that, Argento would participate is if some subjects were off the table. Okay, let you have us to address know it. that. We you got do. you have to address it. You do. You, you have to. You have to say why did you bring this up and then not ever resolve anything yeah. about it. Yeah. Um and so what what it wound up doing was just making for a very frustrating viewing experience. And that's I know especially for you and people that like you are big fans. Mm-hmm. You're a much bigger fan than I am. Mm-hmm. That would be very frustrating. Yeah. yeah, you're looking for a little insight that you haven't gotten. And you're expecting that because he himself is involved. Yes. And you still don't get it. Yeah. So that can be frustrating. Yeah. But that is on uh, Shutter Now. Dario Argento Panico. Let's go back to theaters for a comedy drama. A teen girl is diagnosed with a reproductive condition that upends her plans to have a sex life, propelling her to explore unusual methods. Her relationships are challenged with everyone in her life, but most importantly, herself. This is called Fitting In. I just want you to feel like a normal teenage girl. I'm not normal. You're still you. And I think you're pretty perfect just the way you are. This has been the worst few months of my life because I was embarrassed what people would think. I love all of you exactly as you are. Being 16 is just bloody hell, isn't it? Yeah. Christy Robb reviewed this one for us at madwolf.com and loved it. Loved it. This is writer and director Molly McGlynn. And the star is Maddie Ziegler, who we just saw. She played Velma in the new West Side Story. Right. And and uh, this is, uh, you know, a lot like Scrambled. This is a, a story from, you know, semi-autobiographical story from the writer-director. Very unusual and interesting story about really owning your own reproductive, uh, owning your own body. And it's um, it's uncomfortable. It's silly. It's smart. It's very sex positive. It's it's just a it's just and it's it's an odd one. It's not something that you it's certainly not not a story that you see very often. No. Um, the performances are solid. Uh, Ziegler does a better job with the comedy than with a, sort of the emotional heft. But on the whole, it's just it's just a really good movie. Yeah, it reminded me once I read uh, Christie's review. It reminded me a lot of Scrambled. 
Yeah. Where you, you take something that's an, a condition, mm-hmm. um, a situation not well known, mm-hmm. and having getting some some education out about it, but also having some laughs, having some warmth, having some humanity yeah. about the fact that we, people have to deal with this stuff, and, yeah. they're, and they're not alone. Right. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, and that is worth uh, checking out. By all means, uh, check out Christie's review. That's at MadWolf.com, but it is in theaters uh, now called Fitting In. And one more, an action-adventure comedy. This is a 19th century supernatural winter epic. A drunken Applejack salesman must go from zero to hero and become North America's greatest fur trapper by defeating hundreds of beavers. Well, this is another one that that we saw first at Nightmares Film Festival last October. And this is another one that was a crowd pleaser. My Lord, was this a crowd pleaser. Now, it was so fun because the filmmakers, the the uh, co-writer and director, Mike Cheslick, he shows up. Not only did he show up, but he shows up with this giant beaver head. Yes. Walking around, and everybody had to have a picture. And he was letting them wear the yes. beaver head. Oh, yeah. Which was great, which people loved. And, yes, everybody loved this movie. It's and nuts. It is nuts. The best way to describe it, and the best way to really to, Experience to decide, it. yeah, to decide if it's going to be up your alley, it, do you like Looney Tunes? If like you old like old school Looney, Looney Tunes, Tunes, this was right up your alley. Yeah, it's like a live action Looney Tune. Uh, it's very much like that. Where, where, and I don't think there's any dialogue. And uh, this fur no, there's trepper- noises. There's yeah, like there's a lot of noises. And, yeah, yeah, things like that. You know, and he just finds himself in these bizarre situations out in the frozen tundra, and uh, and he's always up against these these beavers, these very wild e beavers. Yeah. Um, it's nuts. It is. Uh, it's such a it's it's such a feat of filmmaking. It really is. And you were telling me, I think you, if you were talking to him. A five-year, five-year project that he put this together. The look of it is fantastic. Yeah. The the complete vision of what he was trying to get across and get on screen, he does it. I mean, it's wonderfully put together. It's slapstick. It's oh, it's silly, silly as it can be. Oh, as it can be. But I'm telling you, if, if that is your thing, and for the the, the crowd of people that we saw it in, <laughs> it was their thing. It was. You are absolutely going to love it. I mean, this could be a, a cult favorite for years and years to come. Yes. And this is another one, even though it's also streaming. If it's in your area, see this with a crowd. Oh, yeah. This is one to see with a crowd on the big screen, and it'll be even more fun. Yes. For sure. But uh, check <laughs> check it out. Uh, hundreds of Beavers. It is out starting this week. Okay, let's schlock and roll. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. It's lobby time. Checking back in with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, for uh, the latest studio news. What's going on? Well, um, the Marvels will premiere on Disney Plus on February 7th. Last Voyage of the Demeter will hit Paramount Plus on February 11th. Next Goal Wins hits Hulu on February 15th. And then a day later on February 16th, Oppenheimer will debut on Peacock. So a lot of streaming premieres on the horizon there. And then moving on to newer films, um, Peter Farrelly's latest comedy, Ricky Stanicky, will premiere on Amazon Prime on March 7th. And that stars Zac Efron, John Cena, and William H. Macy. Hmm. 
Then there's the martial arts action thriller 1% Warrior. That'll be hitting VOD on March 12th, followed by an April 5th streaming premiere on Haya. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite name of a, of a network. Haya! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Saban Films has set a March 15th theatrical release for their crime thriller, Knox Goes Away, which both stars and was directed by Michael Keaton. And it also has Al Pacino, James Marsden, and Marsha Gay Harden in it. Wow. Has Michael Keaton directed before? He has. Um, I'm wanting to say there was a sports drama back in the 2000s, but it's been a while. It's been a while, okay. And then Neon will release the psychological horror film Immaculate in theaters on March 22nd. That's the latest from The Voyeur's director Michael Mohan and stars Sidney Sweeney as a young nun who discovers terrifying secrets about her convent. So that sounds up Hope Sally. Yeah. It does. Also, um, having been uh, 12 years in Catholic school, as everybody knows, a lot of nuns look like her. <laughs> a lot of a lot of females oh, of who look like her decide, I think I'll be a nun. <laughs> Can't get a date. That's right. What else am I going to do? <laughs> March 22nd sees the VOD release of detective thriller Sleeping Dogs, which stars Russell Crowe, Karen Gillan, and Martin Sokas. And March 29th is the Netflix premiere of the new French remake of The Wages of Fear, uh, which was last adapted by William Friedkin in... The 70s, a sorcerer. Oh, I love the sorcerer. Mm -hmm. Saw it in the theater when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Before I saw Wages of Fear, the original, I love them both, and I am not excited. I watched the trailer, and I think you posted it, and I am not excited. Yeah, it looks slicker and more action-oriented, which I guess is a is a take to have, but uh, that's, a, that's a high bar to reach. It so. is. I mean, the trailer looked like I was ex really expecting Jason Statham to, to come out or something like that. <laughs> it looks like a just a, a, a cheaper, more superficial take on it. Yes, it does. Well, we'll see. Open minds, right? It sounds right. open. Your mind sounds open, George. <laughs> <laughs> and then Universal has set an April 5th theatrical release for the Jordan Peele presented action thriller Monkey Man, which stars Dev Patel and also happens to be his directorial debut. The trailer for that one is wild. Yes. Now, yeah. there, there's a trailer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That That's a good-looking trailer. Yeah, it is. And then I mentioned Horoscope last week. Well, the title was open again because Sony has retitled that film to Tarot, and that will arrive in theaters on May 10th. What? Yeah, quick. <laughs> that was, what, what's a more boring and often used title that we could we could go with? How about Tarot? What, is Ouija taken? <laughs> Yawn. <laughs> and then lastly, uh, just announced today. Neon has finally set a July 12th theatrical release for Osgood Perkins' latest horror film, Long Legs, which stars Mike and Monroe, Blair Underwood, Alicia Witt, and, of course, Nicolas Cage. Oh, that, now that looks, yeah. can't wait. Yeah. I mean, the marketing, I assume it's only going to get better, but oh, yeah. I mean, the opening, the rollout marketing was fantastic. Yeah, also, um, I mean, we love everything Os Perkins has done, but to, yeah, to, to pair him with Nick Cage, we are so all in. Yeah, that that is one of the films of the year for me. And when when is that again? July twelfth. July twelfth. Mark it down. That's right. I do want to. While we have you, I want to point something out that I forgot to mention last week that I think we can all be up in arms about. So the Razzie nominations are out, and nominated for worst actor, Russell Crowe in The Pope's Exorcist. Now mm -hmm. I, I I don't know about anybody else. That movie was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. But he he was right. spectacular. He was so much fun in that movie. How are the Razzies still a thing? Really? I don't know. I don't know. I don't really know how they're still a thing either. But I, I mean, I agree. That's one of the most fun performances of the last yeah. year. Oh yeah. 
it absolutely made it worth watching that absolutely terrible movie. <laughs> he's so fun in that role, and the movie made enough money that it's getting a sequel, but he's so fun in it that I look forward to watching the next one. <laughs> yeah, on his little Vespa. Oh, it was yes, just it was exactly. hilarious. You can always catch up with Daniel on the socials at the Schlocketeer, and we thank you as always. Hey, thanks for having me. Looking ahead to next week, one that's been on our radar for a while called Lisa Frankenstein finally drops. And also the Oscar-nominated The Teacher's Lounge. Um, One called Out of Darkness. Willie and Me. Restore Point. Marmalade. Molly and Max. Float. The Monk and the Gun. And Ghost Written. Okay, that's all next week. But boy, a lot of of variety to uh, talk about this week. What are you liking? Maybe you still like Argyle or The Promised Land or you like some Departing Senior Scramble. There's comedy, there's drama, there's there's horror comedy. There's a bunch of stuff this week, and that's good. Choices. So uh, let us know. We always like to keep the conversation going. You can find us easily on Twitter at Mad Wolf, also on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus, uh, threads as well. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. That's all there at uh, madwolf.com. So keep in touch. uh, Enjoy the movies, and we'll talk again soon. Until then, be well. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.